Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Emily and at this week's Roundtable, Irina, Hannah, and I spoke with Allison Ritz, an AP government and history teacher in the Bronx. She has taught in the New York City Department of Education for over two decades, striving to connect the present to the past while centering civic engagement for high school students. As a former teen activist, she approaches AP U.S. government and politics, participation in government, and economics from the lens of youth empowerment. Ms. Ritz also has the honor of working with seniors to support the college application process and post-secondary transition and serves as faculty advisor for the Riley's Way Bronx Council. We conversed at length about what students would like to know about their teachers, but are frequently afraid to ask. We also discussed the joys and challenges of being in the teaching profession, which varies depending on which state you live in. Furthermore, we discussed how Ms. Ritz's own experiences got her into teaching and how exactly teaching keeps her inspired and motivated. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Emily and I'm a senior and I go to Truman High School in the Bronx. And um, I've been with, with Next Gen Politics for like, well, I joined Why Vote during the summer, and then that's when I joined the podcast. And today, I'm really interested in talking about the shift in politics and the divide and how that sort of segues into history classes and social science classes. Hi. Hello, everyone. My name is Emmanuel. I'm a senior from Brooklyn College Academy. And I, as like Emily, am interested in hearing about the political conversations in the classroom, but also in general, having a conversation with an uh, um, AP government teacher and seeing how that experience translates into, you know, how does that differ from the student's perspective and the teacher's perspective? Hello, my name is Hannah. I'm here from Delaware, and I am super excited for this discussion today. I took AP U.S. Government and Politics last school year, and it was AP U.S. Government and Politics along with AP Psychology were my two favorite AP courses to take and just courses overall. I learned so much about how our government works and just the world around me. I'm forever grateful. And it's just like driven me even to this day um, when doing things such as the podcast, which is so much fun and so insightful and educational. But the background that AP U.S. Government and politics provided me with, I'm just eternally grateful for. I loved, I had an amazing teacher, as I'm sure you are as well. And I'm super excited to hear your insights, as well as how you came to, you've gotten to where you are today, especially considering your background as a youth advocate, activist, as a youth advocate, activist. Sorry, I'm going to say that one more time, because I can't talk today. So I'm excited to see and learn more about your background as a youth activist. All right, shall I begin? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's an incredible honor when any student asks anything of a teacher beyond the 41 minutes that we spend together, or in Arena's case, the 82 minutes, not counting passing periods because she is in two of my classes. Uh, but I've known Arena, um, for many years now because of her deep involvement in activism and organizations outside of the classroom. So I am super excited to talk to all of you. I wanna hear uh, your experiences and what you're interested in. Um, And I am definitely of a different generation. Uh, I am solidly a Gen Xer, which means we grew up before the internet, Uh, We went to college, and in my case, um, when the internet was a new concept, I remember sending my first email and seeing someone looking at a picture on a computer screen when I was in college, and I was just like, what's that? You know, so I'm actually grateful in a way, because however incredibly close things seem to you and having access through technology to an overwhelmingly enormous volume of information and connections to other people. Uh, I'm glad that I had books and read, and I'm a library nerd, 
So some teachers and I kind of halfway joke, if we didn't become teachers, we'd become librarians uh, because just being around books and helping people and connecting people to information and research is such a beautiful way to bring people and resources together. Um, so I, I started before I was a teacher, um, when I was in middle school, really, I got involved in Amnesty International. I'm from Los Angeles. And in the 80s, when Reagan and then when Bush Sr. became president afterwards, the U.S. was deeply and still is deeply involved in, in Central America in some pretty nefarious ways. Um, and because Los Angeles has an especially large Central American population, that felt and was extremely uh, close to the residents of LA. So you just would hear about, there was a, a famous um, priest named Romero who was murdered and there were um, a group of nuns who were killed and and just learning how the, the US government was so directly involved and deeply involved in these cases. Uh, really disturbed me as like a 12 year old and a 13 year old, especially after the Iran Contra affair. And these are all topics that I actually don't know how much is part of kind of national curriculum. You know, sometimes like getting to Reagan in the 80s is always kind of a foot race at the end of the year in U.S. history. Uh, but that's what got me engaged. And I was really lucky to to grow up in a city where I felt empowered and I had direct access to people my age and people who are older too, like intergenerational organizing, I think is really powerful. We're seeing that now this past week in particular. Uh, so to see how people work together and before the internet, you had flyers, you had phone banks, you called each other, you did mailings and um, you used paper and telephones and the U.S. Postal Service, which Arena knows I am deeply dedicated to, and it's one of my favorite federal agencies. These were the means by which people connected and organized in some really amazing ways. So I'm very grateful to have been part of a network of people who um, never felt, never made me or um, my peers in a group called the LA Student Coalition uh, we never were meant to feel belittled. Uh, it was also when Nelson Mandela was released from prison. We had a massive march um, to mm -hmm. greet him at the LA Coliseum, um, very involved in anti-apartheid efforts. And then after the LA uprisings of 1992, um, and before then, when the police officers were found not guilty of beating Rodney King. There was so much energy and so much work around that. Um, so I, I I feel very lucky to have been in a place where I had I had a community on the ground with together in one place, even though the internet is an amazing way to organize too. Look what we're doing right now, right? That's really awesome. Like just giving that background, you've seen a lot politically in our country. Um, so, and just like seeing the changes of society, I think is just absolutely amazing. And it just has me wondering, you said something that really caught my attention because it was actually something that I was discussing today with the principal at my school and like a little panel discussion that we had. And it was just about, and they asked us like as adult, they're saying like as adults, um, as an older generation, what can we do? What can they do to make sure that or to ensure that we feel heard and that um, as a generation um, and that we're not belittled and that our opinions aren't belittled? And just hearing you say about how you were um, able to grow, have that environment where your opinions weren't belittled, but they were valued and they were heard and you were in a supportive community that also valued hearing your opinions. How would you say that plays out in the classroom setting as a teacher um, in terms of making, helping young people understand that they have a voice that can be used to help those around them? Another great question. We're all part of inter 
interconnected overlapping communities, but we're also part of pretty distinct communities. So when you go to school, that's one community, right? There are certain people you only see, not just at school, but in that one class, especially if you go to a bigger school, there might be people who you literally don't see until, I don't know, homecoming or junior prom or even graduation, right? So the way that we interact in these spaces can be um, really intense. <laughs> it could also be ways to connect beyond. So I am always so excited um, to see the work that people do outside of school. So when you're asked, how can you be empowered? What can we do? Um, that's a great question. And so for me, it's also about the different roles that people play in different spaces. So some people really like to be engaged within their school community. They like to be in clubs. They like to continue to work with their peers and, and students who they see all day. Other people actually, I, I think you're demonstrating here, have a deep desire and really enjoy working with people beyond their school community. The fact that we're on a Zoom, that we are Intraborough, right? There's three of us who go to Bronx schools, one in um, Brooklyn, right? And then you, Hannah, are in Delaware. That shows how we also want to organize and work beyond the school day and beyond the people in our community. And this kind of youth organizing gives you so many opportunities to do that, right? You're all part of this organization. Now you're doing this podcast, and I'm sure you do a million other things that are incredible. Uh, but I also want to point out, and this is a point that older people kind of annoy me with is they say your generation is the one that's right. That's going to make the real change. Well, what I'm not that old. Right. I mean, I, I'm not saying I, I am. I, of course, I look to the young generation, but I also think that's kind of a, a cop out. You know, we all have the power and the capacity to stay engaged and to find ways to either organize within you know, people, I don't know, Gen X or, or, or people in my community and my neighborhood and my, in my building, but just to put the responsibility on, on Gen Z, I don't think that's very fair either because now you're carrying this load, you know, when everybody, especially if you see someone like Dolores Huerta, who we're learning about in my gov class, she's one of my idols. She's 93. She's still out there. You know, so I think it's so important to honor our elders and to recognize that the responsibilities of true change, yes, you bring energy as amazing young people, but you can't be expected to do all the work that everybody should be doing. I really agree with that. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with my French teacher because she was talking to us and she was like, oh, I've been teaching for 20 years. Kids these days are not like kids before. And I'm like, I mean, I don't really agree with that. I mean, I know that we have the internet. And that sort of brings me to my question is that like, since you've been teaching for like since the beginning of like 2000, that's that's like 30 years ago almost, which is insane because 2000 used to be 10 years ago. But that's besides the point. That's besides the point. So um, my question basically is like, since you've been teaching for since 2000 how how have you witnessed the change in students like has it changed how has it been because I know we've, you've probably been through you have been through the rise of the internet through the Trump attacks on the Capitol and so much has happened and what are some differences that you see in youth from before and now like when you start teaching and then well, I, I like to say I started teaching when I was 10. So I'm actually really young now. Um, so I did start in my early 20s where I was pretty much not that much older than my juniors or seniors. You know, I still keep up with the number of them on, on social media. And now, and some I'm, I'm friends with as adults, we are friends. And they're way older than I was when I was their actual teacher. But that whole argument that, kids these days, da, da, da. you go back to the 1950s and, and when like the concept of the teenager was invented almost in American culture, people were always complaining about young people and they don't do this and they don't do that. You know, you, and my grandmother who grew up on the Lower East Side, she has stories about doing things and going out and be, that were, if you, 
blanked out the, the years, kids are kids, you know, they grow up in different circumstances. Yes, you absolutely have access to more information, which is amazing and also really scary. Um, I think protecting yourself as a young person online is something that we absolutely uh, did not do or have to do. But developmentally, especially if you took AP Psych, and I taught, I've taught AP Psych as a a couple times. I I, I jumped in um, when a, a teacher had to take a leave, and it was fun. It was great, and I love to take. I love teaching AP Psych at the same time as AP Gov because so much of it has to do with psychology, ideology, perception versus reality, um, feelings versus data, you know? Uh, so there is so much about how our role, how our worldview is shaped by our identities and our psychological outlooks and, and all this stuff. But I generally think Again, if you look back in the historical record, older people have had attitudes about younger people uh, for a very long time. Don't quote me historically, but there has been, there. there's an old song, I think from the 50s or 60s called Kids, and it's just an old guy ranting about kids these days, you know, so <laughs> that that's not new. I'm sorry you're, you're a teacher, and, and I don't think it's fair for teachers to to say that to students too, because your experience is your experience. You don't know what it was like to grow up 20 years ago. I don't know what it was like. You know, I used to love asking my grandfather, you know, tell me about the depression and how much you paid for this or that, or what movies you saw, because we are limited, not limited, but we just, we've lived the life that we've lived in the time period that we've lived. So to compare you, your generation to others, and she was a different age at that point in her, her life too, right? So I just think comparisons in general hurt. And comparisons are usually about making one group of people or one generation or one of anything in a position that favors them and judges and somehow puts down another. So that's a, that's a long answer. But yeah, I would say... Um, the olden days of cutting and pasting and, and the photocopier breaking and running to the corner to the copy store, which because of gentrification doesn't even exist there. I used to teach in Chelsea and just to see how the neighborhood has changed since 1999 when I started. So on that level, the resources that you have are the same resources that teachers have. And it's great. and It's wonderful. And look what happened during COVID that we did the best we could. It wasn't the same as being in person, but we were able to create lessons in ways that we wouldn't have been able to do 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even. I don't, I don't remember when Zoom was invented. First time I used it was five years ago for a poetry class at Arenas and now this national project that we're in, but it's wonderful, but we can't, we can't blame young people for growing up in circumstances that they did not create. Okay, you did mention about comparisons being hurtful. I hope this one doesn't hurt. But touching upon the, um, you know, change throughout the decades, how was, um, I guess, the task you had to teach students? How What was the challenges back then compared to the challenges now? I do hear a lot of teachers say, like, some, especially with social media, it is a bit harder for even younger children to be engaged in lessons and actively read on their reading level and other issues. But like, what were the challenges then and do they still exist now or have they evolved into some, some of the issues we see now? Yeah, I, I think the challenges for this generation is just um, runs parallel with the challenges for most people that I am distracted. My phone just went off. I'm not going to answer it because I want to be fully present for you and for now. But did I look over at my phone just now? What do you think? Yeah, sorry, I did, right? Because our brains are now reprogrammed in ways to look at the light coming off of this thing, right? Or um, struggle to, to read on paper instead of, um, you know, going to watch a video. I mean, I do what's interesting, and I don't know if your teachers uh, do this also, 
however unenvironmental this is, and I'm totally guilty, um, is that I still give everything, almost everything on paper, right? Arena will tell you at the beginning of the year, they have, they have a course reader and um, a course packet for the entire five units of, of the class because we learn better when we handwrite. I read better when I read on paper rather than on a screen. And maybe that's my generation too, right? It might just be because I grew up without reading text on a screen. So that's what's just more naturally easy for me. Whereas maybe your generation, because you had screen, maybe you do actually read the same or you don't notice a difference if you have an e-reader versus a textbook. But in giving students the option, do you want to handwrite this or do you want to type it and submit it in Google Classroom? Guess what most students do? Um, what do you guys think? I would, I feel like they, I feel like this is a trick question. Like I want to say that they handwrite it, but I feel like they are typing it. <laughs> they handwrite. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Wait, what, Emmanuel? What do you think? No, um, I was going to say, like, I think they typed it because you do. In my personal experience, it is like, even though I write good and everything, it is a bit more convenient to just type it. Also to have copies just in case anything goes wrong. But it's interesting to hear you say, oh, they handwrite it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my Gov class, which is different than than AP Gov, um, almost everybody. And I post it all. I say, here's in classroom, make a copy of it. Type your responses if you want, but I give I'll give you time in class to write it. Almost everybody, if I have not gotten one digitally submitted assignment this year. So now if it's something like Google Slides and all the pretty things, that that that's my other caution, I think, because we are such a visual culture now. Sometimes people obsess over what slide deck they're gonna choose as opposed to the content. So that makes me a little cautious. Because you can have something look as pretty as ever, but you didn't design it, right? I'm not a graphic designer. And if the content isn't strong, then that that slide carnival choice or whatever is whatever it is, or that GIF, okay, it's funny, but how is the content actually truly reflecting your understanding? I think that's just so awesome that you mentioned that. And I want you to know, I hope this makes you feel better, but I love reading with paper and writing on paper too. It is my preference. Like I will literally ask my teachers because my school is very much trying to integrate like using Chromebooks and like making everything like digital. And I have like a few teachers, like my AP literature, to my AP lit teacher this year, she's really pushing for like paper, 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 like purposely. like, And so it's very, and I love it so much because I can, I can tell the difference in my learning. Like when you read digital, at least for me, when I read digitally, it's very passive, which is why I'm kind of nervous about like the SAT going digital. Cause I'm just like, okay, yeah. this is going to be, this is going to be different. And so we'll see how that goes, but I definitely relate to that that paper pencil um just learning I just learned so much better and I understand so much better when it's through paper and pencil um and I think taking AP psych really like solidified that because I was like I knew I wasn't crazy like because then you learn an AP psych that yeah paper and pencil it's better for you in terms of learning um but I wanted to ask you just out of like curiosity because I know at the beginning you said that like you had like some questions for us and I was curious like what those questions might look like. Like, what were you, what were some questions that you had about us, like just knowing like high school students invested in talking about politics today? Yeah, well, and you're all in this one organization, right? That connects you. I don't, I don't know if you have meetings in person, but the fact that you are not in the same place and you care about the same issues and you want to see a specific concrete change. What would that change be? For instance, is it voter registration for you? Is it getting not just people registered, but to vote? Is it having your peers understand that voting isn't a passive activity? Um, what, what drives you, I guess? Where, where do you see this taking you next? And why are you spending 
time on a school night. I'm sure you have homework. I'm sure you have other things to do. Why are you spending your time doing this? Um, I would, I guess I'll go first. I would say for me, like when I first heard about Rival, I found out through another person. And if, if the person who I met, like if she never told me about Rival, I probably would have been like, oh, Rival, I don't really care about voting because I hate to say it, but voting is not that enticing. What more, what is more enticing is the issues that we care about. And when we get people to to like see this is this something that you care about you can advocate for you can talk about it then that's when we really get interested and so when I joined Wivo the reason why I was so just attracted to the organization because I was following Wivo on social media and next gen it's it's just like coming from the Bronx growing up in the Bronx and you know Bronx poverty all that so I really have experienced that. And then it's just the generational trauma of like being a black woman in the United States. Politics is not really emphasized. It's emphasized, but it's usually like, oh, it's been an injustice against black people. What are we going to do? Um, That's so sad. And for me, I'm not going to let that happen. I want to do the little things that I can do to try to at least make things better. And one day I really do want to work in the government. I don't have AP government at my school, but I'm in macroeconomics and I, I really hope to work in the government one day. And I think what really drives me is being that black woman, a black woman in the United States growing up in the Bronx. It's it's really important to me because I've I've experienced just just like all the madness and injustices that happen in this country and that's being talked about in history. So it's it's really personal for me. Um, that was a very, that was a lot, but it was really relatable to me. Like, and I constantly say this all the time, no matter where you hear it. Um, I live in the trenches, like it gets rough here. Um, we some oftentimes are the first ones to experience any detrimental changes there are in the government or just actual policies. So like extra police presence in my neighborhood, while it could be appreciated, it only adds tension and actually makes the neighborhood feel a lot more unsafe because then it's like, well, what if a fight breaks out? Um, what happens next? Um, but I was, like Emily, attracted to Weibull because I had taken um, People Power Politics. It's a college class um, that my school offers. And it was really interesting to see, like, not only how the different styles of my professor, but other professors would teach and focus on different issues. And then I kind of saw this opportunity to translate it into, wow, um, we can vote to change these issues that were very present in our history. And so when you mentioned, like, do we want to help pre-register people to vote? I, in my mind, when I was hearing that, I'm like, yes, but those are only the steps to get to where we need to get to today in the future uh honestly piggybacking off of like what emily and emmanuel said like i'm the same exact way i feel like when i what drove me to get into politics and to be involved with organizations like next gen was not voting actually it was rather these these a, a bowl of issues that i just found to be over time to they all intertwined. It was just like, you don't have one issue without the other. They all kind of fed each other, like whether that was systematic racism or gender inequality or healthcare disparities or education disparities, like all of these different things. It's just when you look at it's like it makes a web that just connects and you're just like, oh, my gosh, it all makes sense. And it's just like that aha moment. And you're just like, OK, I need to get involved in advocacy because this is not OK. And we just see time and time again, unless you say something and you say something again and again and again, and you just really nail it home, you're not going to see change. And so I think by being involved with an organization such as Next Gen, I've learned I've learned so much about myself, about this country, but also how I can help my peers to better understand what's going on in the world around us, because I think that's such a roadblock that blocks us from actually getting involved from advocating for ourselves um my gen i feel like gen z a lot of the times we like we sit an issue we'll sit they'll see an issue 
and we don't really do anything about it. Like we're so mad, we're so fired up. We're just like, this isn't okay. This is an injustice, but we don't know where to go from there. So I think one, this podcast is a great outlet to be like, there is something that we can do. We One, we can be educated and learn how we can be proactive, but we can also just understand the situation as a whole so that we can act accordingly. So it's really, that's why I really enjoy and appreciate programs like this and get involved. Well, these are all super inspiring answers. And that's one reason why I keep teaching because I technically am part of the government when you think about it, right? But part of learning about government, you don't have to be in the government to change the government. Um, part As we get older and as you learn about what your interests are and how you bring your own talent to a community, a virtual community, an in-person community, that might be community organizing, digital organizing, but to change the system, I also think you gotta know the system. You don't have to be in the system, right? But that's maybe why you enjoyed APGov so much because it is very nuts and bolts in some of it. You know, we're learning about fiscal federalism now, not the most exciting concept, but literally it impacts every level of government, every budgetary decision every way that what makes one person's community look and feel very different than someone else's and within a community. And Emmanuel, I like what you mentioned about uh, an issue like policing. How does one person's sense of safety for someone else, that is a sense of threat, that is a threat, right? And 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 how is what one person calls protection someone else might consider uh, violence or occupation or a, a non lack of collaboration with the community. So this is why government is so layered, but also a great way to kind of figure out how can we address these issues. Um, and the, and yes, voting, absolutely. That's like the that, that that's step one right step one of living a life of advocacy and change and and um, finding the issues that that you care about but the lowest levels of voting engagement are at the local level and at the same time especially in new york where the local level is is where millions if not the hundreds of millions of dollars get allocated so that's why i think what you all are doing in your own way is is so powerful. And you each have your own story. Everybody has their own way of finding out what they're interested in, what in school gets them fired up. Um, you know, each of your high school teachers, we all kind of live in our own little nerddoms, right? Like I'm a governor, I know that. Um, so I can't expect that everybody is going to love the subject and and feel connected to it in the same way that I do. But I also think it's important that teachers give students a sense of that empowerment that we were talking about before, that you are in a class, hopefully not to just get through that class, but to get something out of that class that will connect you to the to the bigger world. Or at least that will help you find community outside of school that you then will take the skills that you have been building or finding ways to benefit from in all of your classes, even the ones that you may not love so much. That is so critical, like and important, and is honestly something that I'm even still learning to this day of like make sure that like of like just making sure that like as I go through a, co a course it's not just the teacher like giving information and I'm just like trying to pass but me actually figuring out how this is useful how this is beneficial how this can help me to grow as a person so I think that's just really wonderful that you brought that up and it's just it's leading me to um, a question and it's just like more like out of curiosity as well um so, so like Shout out to Miss Guarney at my school, Apoquinimic High School in Middletown. She's the AP government teacher at my school, um, does a phenomenal job. And they actually, at my school, they've just started mandating that 
AP government and politics be taught to the sophomores at my school now. So now it's like um, a mandatory thing that class that has to be taken. And I'm wondering, like at your school that you teach at, what's the demographic of students um, that are taking the class typically? And do you think that the age group um, affects the reception of like or like the if it if the age group changes the way in which pe- the students think about the topics that they're learning about uh um, I, as an ap gov teacher so there's a community you know what's interesting about teaching a class that's taught across the country is that you have teachers teaching the same curriculum and we all teach it 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 kind of outlines the concepts to teach but not how to teach it so your teacher and what I do in my class, you might be teaching the same topic, but in totally different ways, which I think is really interesting, right? Because that touches on every community has different has different needs. But um, I think t- taking government and also economics as a senior, I think is really important. And in a way it might connect you and make you feel and, and make you see why the course is relevant as you are leaving school as you are actually reaching voting age, as you're about to go into college, where, oh, that's my dog walking in, sorry, where so many of the friendships and the relationships that you'll make are through student groups and who you affiliate with outside the classroom. So if it were me, I would I would have a tougher time teaching uh, sophomores and 11th graders. I just think it, I would do it, of course. And I've had I've had 11th graders in, in my class, but there's something I think just so generationally appropriate about having a class that's about your engagement with the world as you're about to step out of high school and engage in the world in totally new and different and wonderful and exciting ways. And about Sorry to, um, if you asked how, the whole class, I think we have uh, almost 70 seniors and I have 25 in the class. So that's that's almost one third of the grade choosing. And it's a choice. They choose to take these classes. So, but in my other government classes, it's, it's all about engagement as well. And also the nuts and bolts of what, what you should know, how and why government functions, because most Americans don't, because they feel disconnected. I have another question and I really I really do think that was I really do think that was interesting to talk about and my question basically I'm so sorry I cannot focus oh my god my question basically is it's kind of about like the divide of um the divide of politics and every time I go on Twitter is somebody talking about oh conservative this critical race theory that they're teaching this in government they're teaching our kids about lgbt they're brainwashing us and it's like i'm like what like everybody's divided and my thing is as a government teacher you're probably at the center of that people are like oh our social studies teacher are brainwashing our kids what are we going to do and i wanted to know like as a government teacher what is your stance not like politically but what is your stance about this argument in america yeah, and, and that's a great question. And it also goes back to what we were saying before, how teachers and students going to school in different parts of the country are up against very different circumstances. I, as a teacher in New York, have a lot of, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm trusted. Um, it doesn't mean I don't think everything I do. You know, I, we, we're always learning from mistakes. We're always changing. I'm always saying, well, that didn't work so well, let me try this out, or what's a resource that maybe I wouldn't use anymore, but I used a few years ago, or I even used it last year, right? Where uh, being self-reflective is is really important, but also being trusted. And, and I do have friends who teach in other states where they feel they feel like they, they can't do their job in a way that protects them in terms of people trusting their professional integrity, trusting that teachers are professionals who know, I'm not saying I know, I'm not an academic, I don't have a PhD, um, but the 
teachers who I talk to in other parts of the country, and and I do a lot of workshops in the summer, and and I love doing um, retreats and and seminars with with other social studies teachers or just teachers, is that in this era of, of hyper polarization, um, where you live and the pressure that's put on you to say to to, to not share your opinions to present there's no such thing as neutral information first of all anything that's considered um objective is not objective because any book makes a choice right any author makes a choice to make sure that they're presenting information in the way that they think is whatever however they want to present it but we're always making choices if i choose to talk about an issue in class or not talk about an issue in class or bring something up or ask students what they want to talk about, but maybe they're being quiet or maybe I'm, I am i don't feel qualified to talk about a certain you know topic that, that I need to learn more about. These are all choices, right? That's also what's overwhelming, I think, about being in school now. It's just like the volume. I mean, just think about being in school 30 years, 30 years ago, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> without the history that we've had for the past, or even during, you mentioned at the beginning, during teaching during the Trump era and what we've, what the country has experienced, what it's experiencing now, like history is happening all the time. You are makers of history. Um, I also think how we study history and we talk about change makers of the past. Well, you're change makers too um, in this new format and in this new way, but I don't go on social media sometimes. Other times I do because that's where I learn from credible sources. Uh, and I am I, I'm very aware of how teaching is getting harder and harder in some places more than others. Does that does that make sense? You know, like if you teach in a state like Oklahoma or Indiana, and and I'm sure, and I've talked to teachers in those states. They figure out ways, you know, they're clever. You know, they, they know how to teach content in a way that's about the content. Um, but we've also had some interesting conversations. I was having a, a talk with a student last week um, because some teachers truly believe that students should not know the point of view of the teacher. Some teachers are very adamant that they don't want students to know who they vote for or what if they're a member of the party and if they're a member of which party or they voted for last election cycle, um, that's not me, but that's also a very personal choice. And I'd be, I, I know we're at the end of our conversation, but I would be curious to know if you've had teachers who in one way or another don't want you to know, uh, and they say they just teach the information and not try to give you their own perspective. I'm just, I'm just curious about that. I'll start with this one. I feel like it's like an unfortunate situation in which teachers want to, but they are afraid of what will happen if they do. And I feel so bad about the about that because like I I think we could gain students gain such a critical perspective and also learn valuable skills such as I can respect and have a conversation with somebody and we don't have to share the same political ideology or so on and so forth. I feel like that's something that is has been lost today in a way in terms of having respect for people, um, hearing them out, listening before speaking in that matter. And I feel like teachers have taken the biggest hit in that um, whether it's like my AP government teacher or any of my other teachers for that matter, no matter the topic, it's always one of those things where it's just like a student may ask, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, that doesn't really matter. That's irrelevant. But I'm just like, but actually it is really relevant, but re it can be relevant in a good way. It doesn't have to be in a way of like, oh, they're a Republican, they're a Democrat, they're an independent or whatever. It Because that's not, that's not, that doesn't make a person. And I don't think we should look at people or especially teachers that way because it just limits them from being able to do their job and which is to help us learn. And I think that's the best way to help us learn when teachers are able to be transparent and honest without the threat that that's going to cost them their job. 
I agree. There is a very fine line. And I do remember two times where it has happened in different ways. Um, so in ninth grade, I had my global history teacher and my English teacher after, um, I don't remember which election, we asked them like, what is the process of um, the election and voting and stuff? And they wouldn't even budge on that. And I feel like it's really important not just to for your government teachers to be like, oh, this is how you vote. But like, if we are curious to learn about how to vote or like, what's the process? I feel like it shouldn't cost you your job, but you also shouldn't be afraid to speak up and educate those who are actually interested and curious about, hey, what's this process? But on another hand, like I'm taking um, guns, money and politics and my professor He's always happy about like, hey, I used to run for mayor and hey, I'm a part of the whole independent party. And it's really interesting to see like his political views. And I don't want to say like it sways the class teachings, but in a way it, you do see how it influences the way he teaches and his view on things. So I kind of feel like there's a very fine line and in either direction, it can go either way. I really agree. I feel like it depends on the teacher because on one hand, I have a teacher who he's, who he's always says, oh, I don't believe in when people are, are saying you can't teach in your perspective. That's literally how you're supposed to teach. And then he's so proud to be like, just, just like you said, Emmanuel, he was like, oh, yeah, I ran for senator one year. I didn't win, but somebody else who I was running with won. And then other teachers say, oh, you know, I can't say that. I don't want to tell you my views. But if I'm being honest, it always shows who believes what. It it always shows somehow. Like if a teacher posts an article from a certain publication, I know, but I feel like everyone has their own views and it's it's really not good to be like, oh, this person believes in that. Let's take away their job. As long as it's not in a hateful way, I feel. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I know you look at my walls, you can tell. Like I said, I don't have to say anything. Just look at my classroom decorations. Um, but how can you uh, create a space and, and how can students and teachers share spaces where there isn't an assumption of agreement that everybody is on the same page about a certain issue and also create space where people can share. And we know, we know the limits of free speech, right? You can't hurt anyone. And even that's debatable. And 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 what does it mean to, to use fighting words? Um, but how can you set up an environment of true exchange and dialogue where people aren't just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, totally agreeing with each other, uh, but giving space to, to really listen and hear each other out. I think that's what's missing for most adults these days, especially recently, you know, why, why can't we just listen more? Oh yeah. I really appreciate, I, that's so true. And it's something that I feel like is never going to be perfect, but will continue to be a work in progress. And I'm very hopeful about that. And with that, I've, I, the last question I really was, I would like to ask you is just, what are what would you like our listeners to take away today from this discussion whether that be about how we can continue to advocate for um our beliefs our in our communities how we can represent ourselves how we can take continue to take charge of our education and what we want to see even in the classroom and how we can work with our teachers to do that I think you're all doing it, right? I love that you are asking these questions. How can we connect? How can we work intergenerationally? How can we work within a community of such um, powerful people with different skills? You're doing it. You're finding ways to uh, seek out what's relevant, right? And so find what moves you, you know, if, what gets you mad? What gets you upset? What gets you inspired? How can you connect emotions to thoughts <laughs> and to research and then to channel what you care about the most through academic organizing, interpersonal ways? And that's what college is so wonderful for because 
advocacy comes from avocation. You love what you do. You find ways to make it happen for yourself and for other people. And you build relationships that will last, hopefully, for generations. But finding your people, finding finding um, community and knowing that your voice really matters, that generationally, what people are doing now, it's through different media, but it's with people who just like whatever gen, whatever, millennials, gen X's, people before, um, people have always done this, but how can you do it in ways that, that meet the moment and that help you thrive as intellectual, emotional, friendship-driven people. I just wanted to say thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation today. Um, And I'm just, I'm really grateful for teachers like you, honestly. Like, I'm so grateful for teachers like you that are honest, that are real with their students. Um, Like Emily was saying, it's just like, you kind of already know, like a lot of the teachers, it's like, it's obvious you just say it at this point in time. And so, because it's like, it's there's nothing to hide. And so, especially when it comes to things like political party ideology, like that's okay to share. You're a human being too, right? And so I just appreciate that realness and that authenticity that you obviously carry um, in your classroom setting. And I absolutely I just know that your students are thriving because of that all honesty and that authenticity because that's what we really need um it's the best way to learn so I appreciate that and I appreciate you for taking your time to come talk to us today I would also well, like to say oh sorry you. no go ahead oh uh, yeah I would also like to say thank you it was a really good conversation and I got to hear everyone's everyone's different perspectives and it really helped me to think a lot more because at my school I don't really like a lot of my history teachers, but I wish you were my teacher because you really see and you really help with the conversation. I really appreciate that. I'd also like to say thank you. Like in this day and age, people like to say, oh, no BS here, but they don't really mean it. But I really appreciate your authenticity as Hannah said, um, and your truthfulness, your ability to just say what you mean because a lot of that is not being done as of right now in today's world. Yeah, I think we're always, I'm always challenged. Am I saying the right thing? Am I saying something in a way that I mean, but also is not just about saying the right thing? Um, So words matter, right? We all impact people, each other in different ways. And um, I really appreciate this conversation and how carefully and thoughtfully you've chosen your questions and the conversation that we have had. Think if more people have these kinds of conversations and then use these conversations as springboards to create change and action, we would be in a much better place. So I thank you all. I'm very grateful for all that you do in your schools and in your next gen community and the organization that you're building nationally. So thank you so much. I'm very grateful. That's all for today with NextGen Politics. I'm editor Amy signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org podcast for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.